Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 13, Mark writes, And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. This is God's word. You know, I find it interesting as one who believes in expositional preaching as the, the, the main diet of the church, which means basically working with the grain of Scripture through books of the Bible as kind of the steady diet that we're feeding ourselves on as a church body. I find it interesting as one who believes in that just how often when working through a text of, of Scripture, working through a book of the Bible, uh, texts arise for the moments in which they're needed. And I believe this one is no different, just how relevant they show themselves to be in both our private lives individually and our public lives corporately. Listen, it's often been said uh, that uh, the the topics of religion and politics are two of the most polarizing topics that you can imagine in our particular culture. And so if you want to mix up a volatile cocktail that's sure to bring any party to a screeching halt, right? You had one part politics, one part religion, gently stir them together and serve them over ice, and you're likely to create an uproar in the the room, right, or in the home. Uh, But in this particular text, the two are brought together in a marvelous way, and in fact, Mark tells us that the people who heard Jesus there that day marveled at the thing that he had to say, And I believe it shows us, in part, how Christians ought to think about and ought to relate to secular government. Let me give you a little context before we move into the text uh, and into the message this morning. But in, in, the, in, the, in the verse, in verse 13, Mark tells us that the Sanhedrin, this is he's continuing the same vein that started back in chapter 11, where these religious leaders, the chief priests, elders, and scribes, those who made up that high Jewish council, are trying to trap Jesus and undermine and question his authority. And so they continue, we'll see this over the next several weeks as well, they continue to send delegation after delegation to Jesus in order to try to trap him in his words. And here in our text, in verse 13, they send a bipartisan commission to trap him in his words. They send the Herodians and the Pharisees. Now the Herodians were supporters of Roman imperialism. Right? They backed Rome, they supported Rome, they were loyal Roman patriots. The Pharisees, on the other hand, were loyal to the Jewish people, and they were unwilling subjects of the Roman Empire and opposed Roman authority. They opposed Roman occupation, and they opposed Roman power. These two categories or groups of people could not have been further on the ends of the spectrum than they were from each other, and yet they partnered together to approach Jesus. And the question they posed to Jesus is not a benign one. Okay, it's not a benign one. It's a very malignant one. In fact, the word trap that we see in the text is used only here in the New Testament. It's the only place it shows up in the New Testament. But the other places it shows up in first century Greek outside of the New Testament, it literally means this, to ensnare or entrap a wild animal. 
So quite literally, this bipartisan commission shows up to trap Jesus in his words. They are quite literally hunting him. They're trying to ensnare him. They want to push him to one side of the aisle or the other. Right? They want, to, they want him to either say, yes, I support Rome, or no, I reject Rome. But Jesus' response is marvelous because it's not yes or no. It's not right or left. It's not liberal or conservative, blue or red. Now consider the, the, particular, the particular question on the table for them about this tax. In 6 AD, Judea became a Roman province, and the governor there instituted what was called a poll tax. Now, this poll tax was not a tax on your income. It was not a tax on your sales or commerce. It was not a tax on your travel, right? But it was a tax on people, a tax on being a citizen. It was a tax paid solely for the privilege of being a Roman citizen. <laughs> That's a great privilege. And there were, now listen, there were two issues with this tax that, that circulated in their day. First, there was no sliding scale for this tax. It was the same for everyone, for the rich and for the poor. Everyone paid the same amount. But the second issue that was challenged in this day, particularly from the Jews, is that it was largely considered or regarded as being an idolatrous tax. If you read the Old Testament, one of the major themes that runs through the Old Testament is the theme that God is the rightful king and ruler of his people and that God is the rightful owner and possessor of the land. Right? So he's the rightful king and he's the rightful owner of the land. And so to pay this tax for a Jewish person in their mind was idolatrous because it was acknowledging someone else as king and someone else's claim on this land. In fact, in the year that it was instituted, in 6 AD, a man by the name of Judas the Galilean led a revolt against Roman occupation and oppression. Now, as you can imagine, Rome squashed and put down the revolt and eventually put those who raised up against them to death. However, what ended up happening is it spawned a movement of nationalistic revolutionaries, Jewish nationalistic revolutionaries that resisted to the bitter end the rule of Rome. And eventually in 70 AD, Rome comes into Jerusalem and crushes the Jewish people, destroys the temple, and overtakes Masada, which was the, the, the last fortress, the last Alamo, so to speak, of their day. And they find all the people inside are dead. But the revolutionaries would verbally attack. These revolutionaries that arose out of the revolt in 86, they would attack their fellow countrymen, accusing them of being disloyal and idolatrous and of being cowards for paying the tax to Rome. So when they asked Jesus, do we pay the tax or do we not pay the tax? It is a very loaded question. What they're really asking is, Jesus, do you recognize the emperor or God as the rightful ruler of the people? Do you recognize the emperor or God as the rightful owner of the land? Do you stand with the kingdom of man or with the kingdom of God? Jesus, are you a puppet of the state or are you really a prophet of God? So if Jesus answers yes, he'd be seen as a traitor amongst the Jewish people. And if he answers no, he'd be seen as an insurrectionist by those in political power and a threat to their position. He was in a no-win situation. But Jesus' response, as we've already commented, was a marvelous one. In fact, Mark tells us as much when he says all the people who heard him that day were astounded by what he had to say. 
So what did he have to say? Here's what Jesus says. All right, he's got one, I believe, one pervasive, all-encompassing command that comes out of what he says here and two implications for us. And here's the pervasive, I think, all-inclusive, encompassing command is this. Is he, Jesus essentially says, obey the state so long as you can, but worship God so long as you live. Obey the state so long as you can, but worship God so long as you live. In verse 17, Jesus says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Now, the word render in the text, it literally means to give back or to pay back to someone. In other words, to render something to someone was to give back to them what was rightfully theirs. Right? Many of our translations just say render or give, but it's literally someone has possession or ownership of something and you're giving it back to them, acknowledging their ownership and paying your rightful due. And so Jesus says in verse 15, he asked them to give him a denarii, which was a common Roman coin of Jesus' day. And he asked them whose image is stamped on this coin and whose ins- what inscription is engraved there on the metal. Now listen, the denarii was a silver coin and on one side of it had the bust of Tiberius Caesar, the emperor of Rome in Jesus' day. On the other side, it had the image of Tiberius' mother. And then it was inscribed with these words, Tiberius Caesar Augustus, son of the divine Augustus and high priest. Jesus says, give me a coin. And he says, whose image, whose likeness, whose inscription is on this coin? And they say what? Caesar's, the emperor's image is on this coin. And so Jesus says, give back to Caesar what belongs to him. It's his coin. His image is on it. His inscription is on it. It belongs to him. Give it back to him. And in answering that way, Jesus says essentially that, 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 that some things that belong to the state, and there's some things that belong to God. And his reply, it, 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 it gives legitimacy to human government and it's much like Paul's report, uh, statements in Romans chapter 13, and that there are some duties that we have to human governments that do not infringe upon our duties that we have to God. And so what is that duty that we have to human government? And I believe what Jesus says here is to live as a respectable citizen of the state, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And in our particular governmental construction in the United States as a constitutional republic. You support civil governments and you honor your civic responsibilities. You pay taxes, you vote, you engage in the political process as you have opportunity to do because you benefit from that to some degree. In the same way they benefited from Roman rule. Listen, Rome in their day had created the best roads in the ancient world. So they had freedom of travel and commerce as you could travel from place to place with much greater ease. You also had an economy and education, military protection from the invading marauders who would come in from the outside. So you had all these benefits. And Jesus says there are duties that you have to a human government that do not infringe upon the duties that you have to God. To live as a respectable citizen of the state where you find yourself. But secondly, you're to live as a submissive citizen of the kingdom and to render to God the things that are God's. See, as Jesus looks at the coin that would bear the image of the emperor, he tells us here is give back to Caesar 
that which bears his image and give back to God that which bears his. Now, what is it that bears God's image? You and I. Humanity that has been formed in the image and likeness of God. Jesus says you bear the image of God, so give yourself to him. So even when you support civil governments or politically involved, you pay taxes, you're not to pay homage. You're not to worship. You're to give yourself to God. In fact, the word image there in the text in Mark chapter 12 is the same word that shows up in Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 in the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. Did you follow all that? Right? So in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, that same word image that's used to describe us being created in the image and likeness of God is the same word here in Mark chapter 12. And I don't think that's a coincidence. I think Jesus is saying, give to Caesar, give back to him what belongs to him, and give back to God what belongs to him. This money in your pocket has his image on it. Give it back to him. You bear the image of God. Give your life to him. Give your life to Him. Obey the state so long as you can, but worship God so long as you live. Now, I want us to think about two implications of that this morning. Right? This very well may be the shortest sermon I've ever preached. But there's two implications of this this morning. Jesus' response means that we should give to the state what belongs to the state, and we should give to God what belongs to God, but we should not give to the state what belongs to God. Did you hear that? You give to the state what belongs to the state. You give to God what belongs to God, but you do not give to the state what belongs to God. Now listen, <laughs> I'm likely to offend people on both sides of the aisle this morning, right? But I, I think that would put me in good company. <laughs> so let's dig in. What is it that this means for you and I? And I believe the first thing that it means is this is as a Christian that we ought to shape our conscience with the word of God and not the winds of government. We shape our conscience with the word of God and not the winds of government. Now, in the New Testament, our conscience is the faculty that every human being is endowed with by their being created in God's image to help us distinguish between what is true and false and right and wrong. Our conscience essentially regulates and governs our thoughts and our actions. Right? It helps us determine what is healthy ways of interacting and living. What are unhealthy ways of interacting and living? What is it that leads to human flourishing and what is it that erodes human flourishing? That's what our conscience is in the scriptures. It is that moral, uh, moral sensitivity, that governor over our behaviors and our thoughts. And if we are not to give to the state what belongs to God, and our consciences are to be shaped by God's word and not the winds of government, then we cannot give the state authority over our conscience. And what that means is this, that just because something is legal, it does not mean it is right. Just because something is legal does not mean that it is right. As a Christian, our conscience is to be held captive to the revealed will of God, which leads to human flourishing, which leads to wholeness and healing, which has restorative capacities. 
And our consciences should not be captive to the ever-changing winds of government. Listen, administrations will come and go. That is the reality, at least right now, of living in a constitutional republic, in a democracy, where our elected officials are voted in and out of office based on their terms. Right? And so administrations will come and go. Executive orders will be signed today that will be repealed in four years or in eight years or in 12 years, right? So we don't allow the winds of changing legislation and government policy to shape our conscience. Our consciences are eternally held captive to God's word, Do not give the state authority over it. A Christian cannot marry and bind their conscience to what is popular in the political landscape. They cannot allow political opinion to shape the convictions of their conscience. As Paul says in Romans chapter 3, let God be true and every man a liar. That the best political minds, that the best political perspectives are always going to fall woefully short of embodying the full capacity of the revealed will of God in his word. And so let me say this, that those Christians, those self-professed Christians who have under cultural pressure and legal threat held their tongue on issues of the sanctity of human life, that it begins at conception in the womb as a child grows and develops, that those who have reversed their position on gender, being real and ordained by God, that we are created male and that we are created female, despite how we may feel about that within our souls. That those who have changed their position on marriage and flipped their understanding to include any and all types of unions, they should repent. They should repent. They have given to Caesar what belongs to God, authority over their conscience. Shape your conscience with the word of God, not the winds of government. But second of all, devote your highest allegiance to God, not to government. Devote your highest allegiance to God, not government. Listen, can Christians say the Pledge of Allegiance? I think you can, preferably not at VBS. In the church. Because our highest allegiance belongs not to an elected official. Our highest allegiance belongs not to a flag, a country, or a man, whether he lives in Washington, D.C. or Palm Beach, Florida. But our highest allegiance belongs to a king and a kingdom. A king and a kingdom. Which is why I watched with such horror on January 6th as people stormed the Capitol holding. I said, I don't, I don't know what you think about what went down there, but I hope you think at least this. Holding signs saying, Jesus saves. And a North Texas realtor 
who recorded herself and posted it for all the world to see, marching up the steps of the Capitol and through its doors, saying they were taking the building in the name of Jesus, the name above all names. And the watching world, large segments of the watching world, seeing that and saying, I don't want anything to do with that Jesus or that God. And let me go on record this morning by saying, neither do I. Neither do I. Listen, those in the Jericho March who marched around the Capitol praying, not for our nation, but for the success of their candidate, those who prayed for angels from Africa to come and overturn the results of the election. You think I'm crazy, right? That stuff happened. Right? Those who marched up those steps holding signs and wearing T-shirts, Jesus saved. Listen, they have violated the third commandment by taking the name of God in vain. And hijacking God's name, God's reputation, and attaching it to their political agenda. And they should repent because they have given to Caesar what belongs to God, their highest allegiance. Obey the state so long as you can, church. But worship God so long as you live. Now finally, this text, I believe, teaches us one more thing. It teaches us the nature and character and type of Messiah that Jesus had come to be. See, Jesus was not a political revolutionary, but he was our perfect redeemer. See, in verse 15, I find it interesting whenever Jesus says, hey, get me a coin. Why does he have to ask someone else to get him a coin? Because he doesn't have one. (laughs) He doesn't have a coin purse that he's carrying around. Okay, he doesn't have a wallet there that he can pull one out of. He says, bring me a denarii. So they have to get one and bring it to him. See, when Jesus is pressed on this issue of should we or should we not pay taxes? Jesus, are you a conservative or are you a liberal, Jesus? Are you red or are you blue? Jesus says yes. Because Jesus, listen, he is far too liberal for the average conservative and far too conservative for the average liberal. Because Jesus knows and recognizes something. Listen, the average liberal would say the big problem in our culture is systemic. There are structural issues like poverty and racism that need to be addressed. The average conservative would say, no, the big issue in our culture is individual and personal responsibility and accountability. We need to make individuals productive members of society. One hand says everything is systemic. The other hand says everything is individual. And Jesus says yes, because everything has been tainted by sin. 
everything has been impacted by the fall. Both the individuals and their choices and decisions and thoughts and behaviors that form larger structures of society and systems, both and, not either or. And when Jesus is pressed on whether or not you should support the Roman government or you should overthrow the Roman government, Jesus, are you going to be a traitor to the Jewish people? Or Jesus, are you going to ally with us and help see the end of this oppressive, oppressive regime? Jesus says yes. Because he didn't come to be a political revolutionary. If he had, listen, this would have been his moment. His manifesto, right now, deliver it. Let's raise an army and go take him down. But he doesn't do that. He says, obey the state so long as you can. Worship God so long as you live. Give to Caesar. Give back to him what belongs to him. But give back to God what belongs to him. Jesus didn't come to be a political revolutionary. He came to be our perfect redeemer. In fact... Mark, I think, tells us why Jesus came in his own words in Mark chapter 10, verses 42 to 45. He says, on the heels of his disciples arguing with each other about who's going to be the greatest, who's going to sit in positions of power and authority. And what does Jesus say? Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says the problem is not Rome. Jesus says the problem The problem is you. And the very thing that Rome is doing, you would do if you had the chance. If you had the spears. If you had the guns. Because it's all been tainted by sin. And by pride and by the pursuit of power. And Jesus says, but I didn't come to ride into Rome and take the seat of the emperor. Why does he have to ask for a coin? Because he says, I've come to give it all away. I've come to lay it all down and to give my life as a ransom for peoples from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. Jesus said, that's why I've come. To be the perfect redeemer who would live in our place fulfilling every jot and tittle of the law. He would dot every I and cross every T. 
And to die in our place as our substitute for sin as he stretched his arms out wide and was raised up high and the weight of God's judgment fell upon him. Jesus says, the reason I've come is not to overthrow Rome and set up a new human government, but the reason that I've come is to establish a kingdom that would endure forever, filled with citizens whose lives have been radically transformed. Their position has gone from death to life all because I went from life to death. I'm going to give my life away as a ransom for many to deal with the real problem, sin. The real problem. So church, as we think about how we engage with the government, there are certain civic duties and responsibilities we have as a part of this constitutional republic, and we should exercise those freely. But we ought not give to the state what belongs to God alone. Authority over your conscience and your highest, deepest allegiance. Obey the state so long as you can, but worship God so long as you live. Let's pray together. Father, this morning, we are reminded of the timeliness of your word. And we thank you for it. Father, I pray for myself. I pray for my family in this room and online. May you give us grace as we engage with people of varying perspectives. May you give us humility. Father, may you give us hope. And trust and faith of knowing that every human government has been established and is ultimately accountable to you. There is no authority except that which comes from you. Every human authority is secondary. It's delegated responsibility. And Father, while there are some that are corrupt, and there are some that are compassionate. They are all flawed. So may we obey them so long as we can. But not allow them to shape our conscience. And not give to them our highest allegiance. but that our conscience would be held captive to your word and our allegiance would be to your son. Who has given his life away for us. And we'll one day return to establish his kingdom. 
and His glory. And it would be so rich and expansive that as Isaiah says, it would cover the earth as the waters the sea. Remind us, God, that He does not need our help to do that. May your spirit bring that thought to mind daily. But that we do bear responsibility before you. To believe truth. To walk in humility. To exercise our responsibilities in a sober fashion. Looking to the one who dealt with the real problem that we face, our sin. Whether that be in individual lives or in the life of a society. But the only answer is to look to Jesus. May you lift our eyes to him. May your spirit captivate our hearts and may we never, never look to a flag, a country, or a man. to tell us what we ought to believe or to deliver us from our enemies. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.